Wow, we're back to another episode of the Pig Wrestling Podcast. The Pig Wrestling Podcast is powered by our wonderful sponsor, Sync Cloud, and it's available in the cloud. Where's it available, Paul? <laughs> the cloud I'm learning, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor to name, but a few and on our Pig Wrestling Podcast blog. The Pig Wrestling Podcast is based on a book by Pete Lindsay and Mark Bowden. It's a simple way to solve any problem and create change you need. Now, this week, um, we've got some guests on, haven't we? But you told me it's a surprise this week, so I'm still waiting, Paul. Yeah, because the guest this week is you. Me? Yeah. Yep, you thought I'm in charge of guests and bringing guests in, but I've decided this week, in our, in our history, our professional history, you're always dropping me in it on radio shows and television, so it's today is my chance to get my own back. So, um, you describe yourself as a technology evangelist. You're a husband, father, friend, and brother, right? So, before we get on to the technology evangelist, I'm going to find out a bit more about Leon McQuaid. But you already know about me, Paul. The people don't. Oh, right, okay. Our viewers don't. Right, okay. So... Let's start. You don't know anything I'm going to ask. Are you going into Stato mode now? I'm going into Stato mode, yeah. How far are we going back? You'll be... Yup. Beth. Beth. (laughs) (laughs) Beth. Oh, I've I've been delving. I've been delving. Right, Leon. You was born, Beverly, in 1981. Yeah. Yeah. Your mum and dad, Terry and Robert. Right. Great people. Um... And they've brought up a great son. Um, also, your sisters, Charlene and Katrina, your wife, Zoe, and your boy and girl, um, Evie and Blake. Right? So, let's start. I know, I know, but obviously the viewers don't, that uh, your early years you spent, it, spent living in various places, going to various schools. So, just tell me a bit about that, mate. Yeah, well, um, now you're asking me to think, aren't you? Um, and cast my mind back. Um, so you, you've got me here, haven't you? You've got me speechless. I'm never speechless. Never. Um, can't expect this today. Um, but I think, yeah, um, well, thinking back, um, yeah, born in Hull, Beverly, like you mentioned. Um, and my, my dad used to be a window cleaner and a chef, and that was his background. Um my mum as well, but it was always very entrepreneurial. Um, different businesses over the years, and you know, self-employed, different businesses. Um, and I think sort of my early sort of remember. It, I, I think I went to school in Hull. Um, I think from the ages of five to nine, I think I went. I went to what five schools, I think. And then um, so so we used to live in Hull, um, different locations, and then we we moved to Leeds. Um, you'll know a good rugby rugby team I used to play for in Leeds. The oh, there's Mil- a few. The, the mighty Milford, do you remember that? Milford Marlins, yeah. yeah. I think we we went 52 games unbeaten. Um, was you playing? Yeah, of course I was. Um, you know, and and this you 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 thought you had a problem. Can you imagine me back then? Oh yes. Um, so yeah, so my background was sort of spent in the early days. My parents used to um, be pub landlords and landlady um, under the I think it was the the Joshua Tetley Brewery, if I remember rightly, um, over in Leeds. So. Yeah, I think my early days, um, you know, I went to five, in four years, went to five schools, and then from the age of, um, I think, nine to, well, about nine, I'm trying to think then, then from, th- yeah, 13 to 16, about another five, six schools, um, so I went, li- lived all over um, North Yorkshire, um, then travelling back to Hull now and again, um, so that was my sort of early years, uh, watching my parents um, in the pub trade. So going going a bit further, then and then when I met you, I was a scruffy little lad of probably twelve or thirteen. So yeah, I think I'd have just come back. Um, well, I think yeah, I come back when I was about twelve. Yeah, when I come back to Hull, I was about twelve, and went to go play for the the wonderful um, Westall. Do you remember them? Yeah, I remember Westall. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you remember that? Well, because I was um, running a rugby team called Nolan Sharks, who was um, quite competitive with Westall. And they had a quite decent team, well, a lot better than my team. So I thought I needed to poach some of them players. How many do you get, Paul? 
probably about six. <laughs> so then it was the mighty Nolan Sharks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, th- I think back then, um, I think my sort of early sort of baptism in business, I suppose, um, watching my parents grow up, you know, be really successful um, in the pub trade and um, we used to have a house in Hull we used to come back to. Um, but when, when I came back, I think, because I've been sat so many schools, um, like 10 schools, I think it was, 11 schools, um, it was a bit of a common theme, me going in out of these schools. Um, I just try and make friends pretty quick. And that's why I, I found rugby, because rugby, like you know, um, it's a team sport. Um, it's a it's a great team sport, isn't it? Um, camaraderie is there. Um, so my dad got me into that, um, tried to toughen me up a little bit, I think. Um, and again, that's what I got into. That's, you know, the team sport thing. But I think me early, because we, we're talking, this is this is more about professional side, isn't it? You want to know about business side, don't I'm, you? I'm getting to your professional side, yeah. Um, and I know a lot about it with professional side, but not a lot of people do. People will associate Leon um, first starting uh, your career at B-Batch. And, but a lot of people think you're synonymous for that, but you're not. No, You've no, done a lot more things, so fill us in. Yeah, so I started as a carpenter and joiner, apprentice joiner. Um, working, we used to work at, the, you'll remember these, Paul, in Hull, um, Skelton's Bakeries. Oh, yes. slices, yeah. yeah. And then we used to go and do the HMV music stores and roll them out. Um, so that's where I started back. Um, I think I'd just been leaving school, so about 97, I think, somewhere around then. Um I was there for about four or five years, and then um, a lot of people don't know, but my first business was a double glazing business. I set up myself called Advanced Tech UPVC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing a bit of self-employed work doing that, um, doing facials and soffits, and that just led me on a bit of a, a spiral um, into all other things. So I was working um, on the KC Stadium, um, doing some dry lining on that, and then um, I, I took a job with Wright's, con- well, Wright's Joinery, if you remember them. No, I don't. Um, so what they were synonymous was um, tradition and technology was their tagline. Um, I like that. So this is where the technology came from. And they, they was a, like a manufacturer of um, internal windows, doors, um, made out of timber. And I got a job there as a um, an estimator, but it's quite funny when I look back. I always, um, I didn't know at the time, um, but my brain works in mysterious ways, which you know, Paul, don't you? Um, and a few people who know me do. And um I'm dyslexic, so there's certain things, you know, I can't remember six-digit numbers. Um, I'm shocking at spelling, um, but my brain's very visual and very creative. So, But I did, back then, I didn't know that. I just thought I couldn't spell. I just thought I was a bit stupid. I thought it was because um, I went to that many schools. I spent more time in the car than I did travelling than I did going to the schools. So I think um, that was one of the, my, my sort of, uh, looking back, um, one of the sort of discoveries I'd made um, that's helped me since. But back then, I remember going for this job thinking I need to be um, in an office job. Um, and that was my first thing. I thought, I just need to get off my tools and work in the office. Um, I got with Zoe, who was trying to plan, you know, plan a family. I oh, know. Um, yeah, you got with Zoe. Um, first time she saw you was 2004, LA school days. Eh? Yeah, yeah, great, great. But you place. actually got together in 2005. I've been digging. Oh, yeah, I've been digging, wow. You got me off the naughty step then, I was trying to think back, you see. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah, so I think that was a, sort of my early sort of career. So my early career um, took me manufacturing doors, windows, internals. Um, but because of the attitude, you know, you know I've got um, and instilled in me from a dad, um, we just get on and work, don't we? And well, nothing's never a problem. So that led me to setting up manufacturing facilities out in um, Eastern Europe, um, and then that's how the first link sort of came back with B-Batch because I think about 2007, 2006 sort of time, I started subcontracting work back into them um, from from there. And then it just ended up that rights um, weren't, weren't doing too good. Um, and there's a lot of technology going on there. I think that's why I started learning a lot about change management and technology. You know, you know there was trying to put a lot of technology into a very traditional business. Um, and it, I think it liquidated, I think, or something a couple of months after I'd, I'd gone. Um, but I got the opportunity to get out and went to B-Batch. And that took me on a, a sort of mad seven years, really, um, where we grew that company. And, you know, was working with some fantastic fantastic customers. Um, Kate Geiger was one of mine. We, we grew them nationally, was manufacturing in-house. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a, re- it was a real good time um, looking back. 
but also um, a madness because I, I think you know around I think 2013 2014 a lot of people don't know but I started a, a business um I originally started a business called I Accessories, or, or brand of a business. Do you, do you remember that one? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen you show me quite a bit of that. But so how did you get into technology and how did you get interested in it, considering you've all been in construction? Um, massively, first and foremost, because I couldn't remember certain things. Like the first iPhone was coming out around 2007, I think, when I look back. Um and I think that was the time I was, I was really starting to push on in in, in 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 my business life. And all of a sudden I had a device and I bought a Mac back then. And, I, and the reason I got a Mac was I, I could talk into it. Um, so it do my spelling, my dictation. And that was my sort of first realisation that technology older, you know, was an enabler. Um, it allowed me to communicate effectively and with in an arena that I'd never normally be able to communicate. Because back back 2007, what, you know, you, you knew me. Um, you wouldn't have thought I'd have been a, 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 ended up in a business mode, would you? No, no, not all. Not all. I, I remember you probably doing your double glazing, turning up for training in a crappy right van. Yeah, <laughs> and so that, that that was it. That was the reason technology was there. And I, I never told anyone that I was dyslexic. I never told anyone my brain worked different. I never told anyone I used to talk into my machine I am using a product called Dragon Dictate. Um I never told anyone because back then, you know, we, we talk about this with the man club we do, don't we? Um, we put these masks on, we've got to pretend so that we're intelligent, we've got to pretend that we're all, we've got it all figured out. And I think what was quite mad, you know, between them seven years, um, the company I was part of, the construction company, just went on to a massive growth. Um, and we grew it through technology and, and you know, roll that forward. Um, I'm, I'm, Think Cloud, what I'm part of now with Scott. Scott Scott was running a company called Virtual Networking, um, who was uh, my IT support company. Um, so the way it worked with me and Scott, because you know we're, we're best of mates now, because and who knows, I think I was his worst customer. I used to come up with the strategy and the technology stack of what we wanted, um, and then Scott and the team would implement it and support it and keep it rolling. You know, it was paperless back in 2007, um, using zero um, Google Apps. You know, all all the products, but I think some. It was a lot, a lot of people don't know inside that. Yeah, I was consulting back into virtual networking. Um, they went on to win 50 best managed companies three times running. We know we put a strategy in there. And then also we, I started picking up with my own consultancy service because I started, I left B-Batch and I was consulting back into them. Um, it was only in, I think, 2017, I went back in as a chairholding director. Um, and B-Batch was my, my, my biggest customer, really. But then on the same note, I, I took on companies like Strawberry. Um, they got they went on to grow from, I think, from five of them to 40 of them, uh, offering C4DI, working with Jonathan Leaf, which was fantastic. Um, we managed to take on Ezil Multi um, Academy and, and 6,000 students were migrated. Um, and it just started to sort of um, snowball, you know, that side of the business. Um, I was working with Alex at, you know, Alltech and then Bamboo. Um and then trying to you know marry technology in with construction and and, and try and do like a you know like a joint venture, um, but I suppose when you look back, um, it, it's at times of adversity when things change. And, and now you know, now you're asking me this. I, I look back. Um, I think once and you know this, what you Paul? With, with how many kids have you got? Six. How many grandkids? None. And I think you, you always teach me this. Um, when you have kids, everything changes, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and, and for me, you know, Evie was born um, in 2011. And I think the big one, the big sort of changing point for me was 2013, 14, when I, when I started to exit and start really focusing on my own sort of work was um, my son was born, but also I lost my father. And I think it's in moments like that you realise, um, you know, what life's about. And for me, I love technology and I wanted to spend time with my kids. I just didn't know that then. Um, I only really knew that when, you know, in, in some people's eyes, um, being offered a shareholder of a, you know, of a very successful and a great um, local company, um, I handed it back and, and it just wasn't right for me. I wanted to spend time with my family. I wanted to do things that were right with me and, and start growing. And also, you know, you know um, and his man club was, was, was taking up a lot of our time. And, and, well, and you're a big, you're a big, um, you try and goal set a lot, don't you? And one of your goals was, and why it pushed you forward was what? Um, 
I suppose, yeah, God, you are calling me out here, aren't you? Um, it's a lot easier when we're asking the questions, this, Paul. Um, it's quite, quite, quite Correct. This. Um, uh, yeah, goal set, and I think, I think me looking back, and you, you can only put this back, um, I, I went on a massive personal development journey working with Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, Brian Tracy. I'd go see anybody who was, um, I was like a personal development junkie on a Paul. Yeah. Um, and the reason I was doing that was I was having success in, in business, um, but question, cause I, cause I, I suppose, I, I think it sort of comes back to um, schooling. And we, when you look back at things, I think I think I'd, al- I'd always had a sort of subliminal desire to be accepted. And I think a lot of that come from, you know, you think, and I've only put, I'm putting two and two together now, um, 10 schools. Um, it's just natural that you want to fit in, you want to be liked. Um, so I think I've always had that. And I think... Being involved in all these businesses, like you'd seen, I was asking myself, you know, why am I involved in all these businesses? Why am I involved in Andy's man? What, what am I doing? And I think looking back, and, and they only worked this out a couple of years ago, um, I think be, being successful in business or in charity, you know, doing the charity work, um, it allowed me to be liked. Um, it fitted them sort of needs. Um, and I think that's what sort of drove me. Um, and it's only been really the last two years, like, like you know, the journey I've been on. Um, I've started doing what's right for me and my family, and, and saying no, um, and that's why I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm not obsessed. Well, I suppose I'm obsessed with human performance and why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's a bit about your professional life and business life, um, that led you to Andy's Man Club. So, Zoe was really the one with the idea of Andy's Man Club. So, let us. Take us on the journey with Andy's Man Club and how you found it and um, how you become a trustee. Yes, yeah, so I think I've become a trustee in 2008 as well, didn't I? Um, yeah. and, and I think then we started, was, was it Faz and me and you, we started around 2017? Yes. Yeah, that was around it, so you're helping me out there, that's good. So I think looking back, um, around 2016, 17, me doing my goal setting, um, I had a couple of, you know, you know the goal setting I do, where I do experiences, yep. what am I going to grow, what am I going to give back? And I, I wanted to help chari- a charity. And um, y- you know, in, the, in our local community hall, um, one of my greatest rugby coaches, um, Roy Burnett, um, he'd been my coach at Westall, um, and then back when I was playing for Parkers, and I knew that he was a synonymous um, figure in our local community. And um, tragically, he took his own life, didn't he? And um, that was the first time I'd heard of Andy's Bank Club because all the lads put a boxing event on, didn't they, for him? Um, and that was the sort of first time when I looked back, I'd actually heard of Andy's Bank Club. Um, but where it sort of came from, I, I was on holiday with Zoe in it and said that I wanted to help a charity, um, you know, for six to eight hours a month. And it just so happened that because um, my company used a product called Google Apps, we could give it away free to charities. So what I thought was I'd give them some consultancy and give them the technology and everyone's a winner. Um, but it, <laughs> in life, it doesn't always pan out the way you expect, does it, Paul? No, in um So basically you went for a meeting in Halifax. I'm just filling in the dots here. Um so you went to Halifax on Zoe's orders <laughs> and um, you went to the... Um, it was like a, a board meeting. Board meeting, yeah. Board meeting, yeah. And you got a great reception, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I got a great, real good reception. Um, yeah, it's weird how the, the universe um, pans out at times, isn't it, Paul? But a um, little bit unto me, um, um, and his man club was, was having troubles in all and needed some help. Um, Sorting Hull out and a club needed a club in Hull. And unbeknownst to me, I'd, I'd happened to turn up on the the, the day after that, that problem in the world. So, um, and that's how it sort of panned out. But I, I always remember saying, meeting Elaine, and um, Elaine was very frosty with me. Um, love, her to, love her to pieces. Um, and that, that is one of Elaine's biggest um, skills, though, you know, she's so um, passionate about, you know, with the cause. She'll protect it, you know, do or die. And um, I think me just waltzing in from all, um, saying I could do this, I could do that, and I give this time free, it just sounded probably too good to be true in some ways. And I think what was nice, though, um, it's weird. Everyone think, Andy, you know, Andy, Andy's Man Club, um, it's powered by women, you know, all through it. You know, Sabrina, Elaine, um, even my, my story with it, it's powered by um, a woman. And 
I remember jumping in the car and speaking to Zoe on the phone and saying, um, how, did, how did it go? And um, I said, oh, well, not really like I expected because they, they don't really want the technology just yet. Um, they're not a fully-fledged charity just yet, um, but they want me to run a club in Hull. And um, I said, I can't. And because um, at that time, you know, you'd have seen the list of businesses I was part of and what I was doing and working for. Um, I just, I didn't have the time. I was all over the world, weren't I? And um, what did Zoe say to me? You, you, you fill in the blanks. Well, um, well, she said you can't pick and choose what you want to do. If you're going to help a charity, you help them how they want you to help them. So um, you had a chat with some of us guys. Yeah, and that, and that was it. So Zoe said, sort it out. So that's what I did. Um, sorted it out and reached out to the wonderful um, Neil Fisher of Airco, good good friend of mine, and um, he gives a fantastic facility. Reached out to, to you because um, I can say that now, but I knew you were struggling. Um, I knew a couple of lads in the group were struggling, and, we, um, and Andy's Man Club Hall was born, and, and that went on. You know, the, the club um, has fast surpassed anything I thought we could do with it in terms of my goal was, you know, that next man or that one man. Um, and I, I just enjoyed catching up with you and the lads. And, you know, we, I think we, we've pushed past 70 plus now, haven't we? Um, and I think for me, that's the work Andy's Man Club does. We don't scream and shout about it as much, you know, personally. We do, you know, from the Facebook page and other bits, but personally what it means to the pair of us. Um, for me, it's just incredible when we sit there and we listen to guys share. And also the, the, the real interesting one for me is... Like I said, I always got involved to help others, and that was the the thing. But obviously, you know, 2018 for me has been a big year. You know, we climbed Kilimanjaro, a lot of things going on. Um, I was going to come on to that. Yeah, and um, Andy's Man Club really helped me that year. Um, And it's weird, isn't it, Um, how how the world comes back around you. You know, you put, you know, give give us gain. I like that that methodology. And... um, yeah, it massively helped me in 2018, um, just to, to hold me steady and, and let me focus on what's important. Going back going back to Kilimanjaro, I um, I always take the Michael out here a little bit because it's just a little ill, isn't it? It's just a little ill. What was, what, where did you walk recently? Lightweight walk. Now, that's hard. That's hard, is it? Yeah, that's hard. Kilimanjaro's just an ill. The lightweight walks, that proper men. Proper men. Just tell us for, tell us about Kilimanjaro, because all joking apart, that was probably the um, best achievement you've ever done, mentally and physically. I think the best achievement I've ever done is keep um, putting up with Zoe, uh, mentally and physically. Um, but Kilimanjaro's up there. Up there. Yeah. yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. No, no you're wrong. No, I'm, yeah, I think, you know, you, it, it's interesting now, because you just finished the lightweight walk, and... Um, you, you know, mentally and physically, when you're tired and you're with a group of blokes so you're not always around, you you know, you can't just stop. Um, the man um, is a wonderful tool. It plays tricks on you, doesn't it? Um, and you'll have experienced that yourself, won't you? Yeah, it was. Um, and when you get to the lowest mentally, I believe the guys that pull you through that and the, the brotherhood that you are, is synonymous to Andy's Man Club because I believe you form a bond. Yeah. You form a bond with them guys who've dragged you from the lowest and that's what Andy's Man Clubs does. Yeah, 100%. And I think for me, um, Kilimanjaro is quite an interesting one because in business, um, it wasn't the right decision for me to go in a lot of ways. Um, personally, it wasn't the right decision for me to go in a lot of ways. Everything was telling me not to go. Um because I was just in the process of doing the deal and um, what is now Think Cloud um, with Scott. Um, so there's tons of reasons why I should and shouldn't go like you do. Um, and I don't believe I'm a positive thinker. I, I like to, um, there's, there's not a negative without a positive, there just is. I like that one, don't I? And the now. And um, for me, it was just something that called me. I just had to go do it. And what, what was interesting was um, when I look back, um, it, it taught me so much to um, climbing Kilimanjaro because um, first and foremost, I had no time to train, did I? No. Nope. Um, with business and everything I was doing. Um, I think I put my boots on on the Sunday and we flew on the Monday, Tuesday, I think. Yeah, correct. Um, correct. And I think I take a lot of this from, you know, you and John back in the day, my, my, my father in terms of the way my man's wired. My man's wired that um, if you put your man to it, you can do anything you want, can't you? Um 
and I, I knew I'd get to the top of that mountain. I'd well, he didn't even it. go to any of the meetings prior to Kilimanjaro. He sent me. Because I knew I, I was already there. I, I, I knew I was always, I had this vision of being the first at the top with the team, getting everyone on going, and, and that's what happened. Um, and I think what was interesting, though, when I look back, um, it just it just teaches so many great lessons for life because I think the big one, yeah, Tanzania is a third world country. Um, you've been, to, you've ever been to a third world country like Egypt? Or, like, yes. Yeah. Where have you been? I've been to. It's Tunisia, one of them. It's near yeah, it, isn't it? Africa. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's Africa. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think what shocked me was the um, sheer poverty there. Um, that just just amazed me. Um, I've never seen nothing like that before. Um, but what was also interesting was um, seeing how the people or the locals had, in my opinion, back then, nothing. Seeing the joy and the happiness on the face, they had everything. Um, and that was something me and Luke and Deck and a few other lads was just so inquisitive about, you know, watching that. And also, I think, um, we had the highest Andes Man Club in the world up there, didn't we? Yeah, um, that. And that was, again, one of the most powerful things because, you know, you're walking up there and you, you're physically shattered and... There was a couple of lads who, you know, who was doing the club who'd never met me before. And it was quite interesting when we got talking up the mountain. Um, a couple of lads, one of the lads was basically saying to me, um, you know, prior to us going, I was always on the phone and quite ignorant, really. And it's a fair observation. Um, but when I was sharing, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be in business and I didn't know what deal I was going to be doing and, you know, houses, everything, you know, relies on it, you know, these decisions. Um, he was taken aback. And um, I remember just saying, well, I can only control what I can control. It's a bit like this mountain, we're going to control control. And I think one of the most interesting bits, and Luke talks about this as well, and and, and it's one of the, my biggest sort of memories on it, is um, at times we was climbing the mountain and my only goal was, there's a Swahili saying called poli poli. Do you, do you remember me telling you what that one is? I, I remember seeing a video with, with you and talking about mindset. Your face was swelled up, and the guys were doing a, a chant in the morning. Yeah, so, people were able to get the, the yeah, and that was just guards. fantastic watching them and how they got themselves psyched up for the day. But was that part of Poly Poly? Yeah, so well, Poly part of it. So Poly Poly was a mindset that um, the Tanzanian guides had for you on the mountain, and what, what it basically was when you did the research on it, Poly Poly means slowly, slowly in Swahili. And the idea is, as you're climbing the mountain, you're going up and you're going down up to altitude. And one of the, um, the hardest things is, because of the sheer altitude you're going, there's actually less oxygen per cubic metre of air the higher up you go. And um, when you, when I was doing the research on it, it wasn't about how fit you are. It was about how much your body can adapt and, and, uh, and adjust to the changing altitude. Um, and my sort of mentality was, um, the longer I'm on the mountain, the more chance I've got to adjust. And I am also as well, um, in my mad, mad logic, um, I thought, well, if the guides are telling us that it's, they're going to tell us to go slowly, slowly, my one number one goal was I want them to tell me to go faster, faster. I don't know what that is in Swahili, Paul, but that's what that was my goal. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did and just was the last guy at the back. We took our time and I can only connect the dots looking back now, but... All I did was just enjoy the journey. That's all I did. That was my number one goal. And what was interesting, and there was a couple of guys um, on the on on the trip who was more interested in getting up there first. And there's there's like a bit of a pivotal pivotal moment uh, me, with me and Luke um, when because Luke kept on swapping at the back and we'd help other people and we'd you know, bit like you know, rugby, you know, team. And um, one of the guys sort of. Um, you know, there's a, there's one of the guys fell, I think, or there was someone went on and he couldn't go up as quick and the other team in front just didn't, didn't want to wait, wanted to go to the, the camp and rest. Um, and that's what they did. And, and I, there was a bit of a fraction in the team at that point. And, and I think you had that on your lightweight walk where people are getting, you know, people want to do their own agendas and do their own things. And we had that a little bit. Um, but luckily enough, cause we, had a, we had an Andy's man club up there who was able to clear the air and talk. And it's like a pivotal moment. Um the guy who, who didn't make, you know, who, who was trying to push on and not wanting to wait for people. It was a pivotal moment when um, he, he slipped and he couldn't do it and he, he, he was suffering with altitude. And um, there was a point when 
it was like, right, do we leave him? And I always remember me and Luke stood there looking at each other and we said, no, no, that's not what we're about. That's not what we do. Um, and we, we stayed and we helped him and, and part of the team. And the whole dynamic changed. His dynamic changed at that. There was like a learning learning it for him, learning it for us. Um, and, and tragically, he never made it up to the top out of all of that. But um, the rest of us did. And I, and I think that was just sort of um, a look into life, you know. Um, it's not about how quick you get up the mountain. It's not about finishing first. Uh, it's about just enjoying the journey. And I think for me, that was one of my biggest lessons um, I take from Kilimanjaro because I did enjoy the journey. I did enjoy every bit of it. And it, it's like life, isn't it? Some days we was up, some days we was down. That video you was talking about, um, the guides every morning would wake you up and they'd sing, dance, um, and I'm big into man state. We talk about this in, in football, don't we? Rugby, in business, um, state management. And I remember that video you're talking about. I woke up and with the altitude, my face was swollen. Um, everything was aching. Um, all I wanted to do was go home. And on the video, I, I remember just getting in. You know, I thought, I'm going to do a video um, for my blog, what I'm doing, and I'm going to capture this moment. And off we went. And I think that's life, Paul. I think that's life. I, b- I believe, again, with the way Andy's man club looking at the dots backwards, it's frightening. It's frightening how Andy's man club all over the UK has grown, but it's also frightening how it's developed in Hull over the last two years. Is, is it frightening or is it amazing? It's amazing. It's, it, it, it is amazing. But while you're on the journey, you don't realise the monster you're creating until you look back and see where we started the little room down the corridor where you was profound and I was doing me Andy's man club bits and there was just two of us and it was only not so long back we looked at that video and like you say we didn't have it figured out and I think that's part of life um I met a real interesting guy um over in Leeds um um Paul Cheating Cats and the um He's wrote a great book um, called Taking Care of Business. And I went over to go meet him because I read his book on all day. Um, a fantastic book. He's um, an accountant for the likes like Bugsy Malone and um, some stars and all sorts. But I thought I'll reach out and, and, and the world's great. When you reach out and ask for help, people are brilliant, aren't they? And they help. So I went over and had a brew with him and I was just chatting to him. And um, he, he speaks of it in his book. Um, it's a famous, famous like analogy by a rabbi somewhere, and it, and it, it just brought back memories because we always know what to do. We always talk about this, don't we? We always know. We forget, don't we? We get man-led. Um, yeah. And he talks about an analogy of the lobster. Do you know that one? No. Um, so he talks about a lobster. So he said um, every seven years a lobster starts to grow and he starts getting real uncomfortable in its skin. And... Um, it needs to grow, but the only way it can grow is by breaking out of its shell. And when it breaks out of its shell, um, it has to suck in loads of water and it doubles in size. So it's twice the size, but it's it's got no shell, it's soft. It takes up to three months for the um, shell to grow back and be hard. And during that three months, what do you, what do you think the lobster does? Don't know. Hides. Yeah. Terrified. Hides. Terrified. Right. Hides, right? And I think I always talk about that in in life. I think um, I to to grow, you've got to get out of your comfort zone, got to get out of your shell. We talk about that all the time, don't we? Um, and I've done that to you a lot over the years, um, especially over the last twelve months. But when I feel ready to talk about it, I probably will do. Yeah, we will. I'm going to get you back um, on that. And I think you know, we always give the best advice to everybody else. And you know, I think. That is the only way to grow. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. And, um, you know, I look back at my sort of business history. A lot of people think it's all roses and success. And there's loads of times I've got loads of stuff wrong. You know, I think that everything could always be better. I think the way um, I exited and I did what I did, I look back, I could have done things like that differently. Um, I think it, it, I found this a lot lately. We talk about radical honesty, don't we? I think you got to start being honest with yourself, you know. That what's, what's that story we like to talk about with the masks? Got to put your own mask on first. Tell, tell, tell the listeners that one. Well, what happens is, if you're on an aeroplane, and the aeroplane's, um, should we say, um, lacking oxygen. Going down, yeah. Going down. Yeah, I'd, I was trying to avoid that. But when a, a aeroplane's going down and the mask drop, who's do you put on first? Do you put on your 
children's, your wives, your friends. Your, your business partners, or, this person, that or, person. Who's do you put on? You put on your own. Because if you don't put on your own, you can't help put your loved ones next to you. So that's why we put on our own. Yeah, and I think um, I've known that for years and I've learned that for years. Um, but it's back to that lobster analogy. Um, stepping out and really fully doing it on your own is a, is a whole new ball game. So I think... I think it's taking me till what am I now? Thirty-seven now, aren't I? Um, it's it's taking me till now to get comfortable with that last couple of years and start doing what I want hundred um, percent. And and again, the challenge with that there's two challenges, isn't there? When you start stepping out of your comfort zone, and you start growing. Um, things have to give, so people have to give, relationships have to give, um, and you've got to be selfish towards your own goals at times, and it, that's that's not nice um, in some in some eyes. Um, it's hard fitting everything in. I think, I think you, you're absolutely spot on there because over the last 12 months, I've got out my comfort zone massively. Doing what? Doing stuff like this. <laughs> Doing stuff like this, talking like I, I never, ever would have spoke to my family, never mind people on the radio, people on podcasts, television interviews, you name it. We've done it over the last 12 months. and But it's right what you say, we've grown. I've grown as I believe I've grown as a person, as a husband, as a father, and a grandfather. Yeah, and and, uh, and me likewise. And I, and again, I, I think I made lots of mistakes, and and I think I think you just got to accept that you've got to, you've got to just march on, aren't you? I think I think that's that that's the the key for me. Um, just keep marching on, and I think it's it's it, in business. It, it's it's. It's having that idea and following through in it, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting now, Paul. I mean, as we sit in our little podcast office, um, you know, only twelve months ago this was just a an idea on a piece of paper. You were sat in that office. Um, there's now ten of us now, isn't they? Um, building the dream um, and working towards it. Um, and it's not magic by happening. It's hard work. A lot of people don't see that going in the background. But oh, you I've, know. I've seen, I've seen, and. Um, I get up for work at four in the morning and you're going to bed. And after working all night, getting a couple of hours sleep and then back at it. But like you say, a lot of people don't see that. They they probably see the good part of your job, but they don't see the hard graft that's gone into it. And I, th- I, I think the nice thing now, though, um, and it's great that I'm in business with Scott and we've got ThinkCloud going now and, and, and we've got the team we've got now. Um, what's really nice is um, me and Scott are straight on the same page you know, got our goals aligned, and, and my, my biggest goal was, you know, to take my kids to school. That's what started me on all this journey. Um, what do I want to experience? Take my kids to school, um, doing all these other things. It was like, hold on a minute, if I want to experience that, a lot's got to give. Um, and I think, again, look, looking back at Kilimanjaro, um, when you start asking yourself, rather than what goals do you want, so you know, one of the highest goals I ever wanted was to be a, a director of B Batch. I was going to be writing that down. Um, because wrongly back then, ego fueled or you know b- being significant, being a director, I thought that was everything made. Um, and being a director of a business is one of the most lonely places um, ever. When you know when you when you're up there at times, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. You know, 100, 130 staff, and everyone needs paying. You got jobs to do. It can be a lonely place. Um, and what's interesting is, and I always talk to you about the story about writing meaningful goals because. I got the goals what everyone would think you'd want, and and I didn't want them. The the one I wanted was to take my kids to school, um, and I think what's nice now with the, the the Think Cloud and the way I talk about technology is technology needs to be used as a tool, it's an enabler, um, and what's nice for me now is I aren't working the the hours I used to work. Yeah. I aren't doing you know and that was all my own doing, um, and it is family first, you know. So I'm working normal hours, which is. This year's, you know, this last six months has been real weird getting used to normal hours. Like you say, technology, technology is good if you use it as a tool. And one week we're going to have to get you to do that fantastic talk you do about te- does technology kill? Yeah, because that's I, great. That yeah, and I know, but there's a, there's a, I think technology's got a lot to answer for on it. And I think you know, I used to use it to enable me. I was addicted to it as well. We've all been addicted to it. We we all are now. We're on, we're using it now, and it's just making sure it's used right, isn't it? So like, when technology is used amazingly right, you know, look at Andy's Man Club. It's used amazingly, and um, that's why we've got. I think is it twenty two clubs now. Two more just up, and Exeter is just up, and it. And I think yeah. um, if we don't have technology, it won't grow them. Um, if we didn't have Andy's Man Club technology, you know, in Hull, you know, the way we talk about it, we 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 wouldn't grow it. Um, 
But Andy's band club teaches us, you know, on a, on a Monday night. We have no technology for the time the club's open. No, we don't. And we just talk, don't we? Um, and that's what's amazing. That's what's lost in the world. Um, Technology is amazing um, when it's used right, um, and technology is a tool. But often we find it uses us as a tool, and that's yes. what I'm passionate about. Um, and hence why I'm in tech now. And his man club, don't forget, we talk, we listen, but we have a lot of laughs. Yeah, we, we have do. a lot of yeah, laughs. Of course we do. Of course. We Let's do. not forget that. Right then, we've heard about Leon, the technology evangelist, but you're not finished yet. All right. right? Okay. I've created Pig Wrestling Podcast Ten Commandments. And you don't know these. Um, so let's, further ado, putting you on the spot again. I'm getting my own back tonight. You're loving this, are you? I am, I am. Right, question one. What are one of three books that are greatly ch- that are greatly changed and influenced your life? Easy for you to say that, on not it? I couldn't say um, that. So, <laughs> so um, one to three books are, well, you know, for me, the, the first one is The Chimp Paradox um, by Dr. Steve Peters. That was, that was the first book. I think it had pictures in it. Um, I couldn't understand. And it just changed everything for me. That um, what, a, what a book. It, it, g- it gave me a mind model um, for how I acted. And when I look back before I read that, I think I'd class myself as um, a bit of a dick. Um, I still can be a bit of a dick, I think. But um, it just allowed me to understand what, why I acted the way I acted um, and I could work on myself to manage that. So that one, without shadow of a doubt, and I, I, you know, you, you like that book as well, don't you? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, it's, it's changed my vision and how your brain works. And then on next one, um, The Dow by Lower, is it Lower Cruz, I think it is. Um, it's a book from like, can't think when it's from 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 before time um but it's just amazing um though i think the classic is one of the books that a lot of books are written upon um it's just timeless teachings really um about about taoism in a lot of ways um and i just love that book um and that links into another one um the power now um ekatoli that and a new earth it just that again just changed everything i think the power now um i found that as i lost my dad and it just allowed me to grieve and and it just put everything into perspective and i think it's what a framework that is um if anyone's you know suffering anything in life i think the power now is just one of the most uh, most profound books um ever right question two what's your feel good song or music that gives you focus or Makes you happy. I love Eminem till I collapse. That was my rugby song. Eminem, right? Question three: What purchase of fifty pound or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Six months. Six months. Um, six months. Six months. Mm, I'm trying to think. Um, six months, Paul. I'm gonna go for. Um, I'm using an app at the minute called um, oh, Blinklist. So it's um, it's like loads of short, it costs you £45 for the year um, and it's like loads of books um, and like some book summaries um, with Audible and things. But what's nice about it is um, you can get loads of little bits of wisdom on the way to work and then if you really like the book, you can then go buy it. So I'm really liking that one. Oh, well done. Do you have a lesson from failure of yours? Um, got loads. Um, I think that IS, I accessories one I did when I decided to start selling um, Apple iPad accessories. Um, when I look back, um, I had a fantastic website all built. Um, built it myself. Thought that was the idea to do. Um, imported a lot of stock. Um, thought I could do it myself, but that just shows um, the need to do a business plan. Um, because I've done my research. And I realised that the reason I could sell things cheaper than Apple was because Apple was using all the money um, to spend on Google AdWords for marketing online. Because I had this fantastic website, fantastic products, but no one could find my website. Um, so that, I suppose, is one of my, my biggest failings, but biggest lessons, because it taught me a couple of things. One about proving your business idea, but then also, um, like now, you know, I'm building other businesses different I understand the importance of Google AdWords I understand the importance of brand testing or idea testing um, so I suppose 
that failure there just shows me the lessons because I did everything right apart from I didn't plan, I didn't strategize properly, I didn't know what I was doing properly. But then you can you, you, you can learn on that, can't you? Yeah, we never fail, we always learn. Yeah, exactly. What is a favorite quote or saying that if you could share with everyone in the world, what is it and why? How you do anything is how you do everything. I love it. Yeah, I love that. And I, I like the, reason, that. the reason I love it is, um, I think it's a T.R. Vecca quote, I think. I'd, I'd picked up somewhere, but I, I love it because it, if you're going to do something, you want to do it well. My dad was always big on that. Um, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Um, and I think it just, you know, it just sets you up. If you can live by that sort of mantra, um, it just makes you raise your standards, and you know, if a job's worth doing, or even, it's even you can you can apply it to anything. You know, sometimes I, I want to have a conversation with someone, I'll say something, I have an opinion, but if I ain't got the time or the energy to put into that conversation, it, you just can't have it. You, you know, um, can't do things by halves, can you? Um, so I think that's that's one of my one of my best best things. I love it. What is a habit that you practice or a random thing you love to do? Meditate. I love to meditate, don't I? Um, not not to connect with a god or some sort of guru, but I believe there's a power or an energy bigger than all of us out there, um, and it just allows me to stop that um, incessant thinking we all have. You know that worry, that anxiety, what we all have, or that that little that little chimp in your in your, in your head saying, "What about this? What about that?" So I love that. I love to um, stop and reset my brain. Um, so that's a good one, and um, and I link that into. I love to journal. I've got me a little journal. I, I, you, you see me there carry that around. Um, a, a very wise man said to me uh, um, when I was saying, you know, I'm dyslexic. I can't write. He said, I want you to um, carry a journal with you and have it for one year. You know, each each journal, um, and I want you to take that much pride in it. Um, he said, you're going to give your kids it. So I've, I've been doing that for about 15 years now, 14 years I think it is. Um, I've got them all on my shelves, and it's weird, you know. If I, I'd like to say I'm dyslexic. That's just a label to let other people understand my, my brain works different. But I think um, just that one thing alone, that journal, I can write, I can do things. I am better than what I was. Um, so I think that's, you know, just practicing the things what you're not, when you're not good at something, just keep practicing because you will get better. Number six, question seven. I think it's similar to the last one. So I might alter it in the next few weeks. But for you, I'm going to make it hard for you. We're sticking with it. In the last five years, what new habit or belief has had the most profound effect on your life? Saying no. Um, that's, that for me, um, game changer. Saying no. Um, once I understood, though, what I actually really wanted. Um, and I always remember Bob Proctor saying this to me. Um, what do you really want? And I've said this to you a few times, haven't you? And we don't, we don't know, do we? A lot of the times we want what, you know, look back at me, I was a joiner because my dad told me to be a joiner. I was good in construction because I would do anything is I would do everything. Um, and and I think this is what amazes me about the human brain. We, we A lot of the times we, we do things that we don't really know why we do them. Um, does that answer that question? Yeah. Question eight. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself or others at 18? And what advice should they ignore? You're going to do your best. That's that's what I'd put in. You're going to do your best because um, everything can always be better, can't it? So you're going to do your best. Uh, question nine, I like this, but I like question 10, but I'll, question nine, here goes. You've changed these, haven't you? Yeah, you have, yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> it's real and raw, real and raw. Right. We all at times feel bent out, unfocused, unenergized, overwhelmed, and what do you do? If helpful, what questions do you ask yourself? Um, yeah, it's a great, great, great question, question that, isn't it? Um, gratitude, you can always find three things you're grateful for. Um, and you know, I don't do it all the time. I try my hardest to ask myself in the morning, three things I'm grateful for, um, and three things that I'm going to set myself up to do well. And I always ask myself on a night, you know, three things that went well, well, and three things I could do better. And I think, I think gratitude, um, it's impossible to be grateful for something and scared at the same time, you know. So I, lo I look at that like, with my grief from my dad, you know. Um, I've, I've struggled with that, like, but you know, not, not like he was my best friend and um, a pillar of reason whenever I, you know, I was in that storm. And, and you know that, Paul, yourself, you know, your own grief with your dad. Yeah. Um, I think that was one of the most um, amazing questions I ever asked myself when I was feeling low, because we always know how we're feeling and checked in with myself. 
when I knew I was feeling sad or loss of uh, of my dad, um, just asking myself, you know, what what's grateful in this though, you know? And some people, you know, aren't even fortunate to have a great man in their life like I had. So there's always, you know, um, Victor Frankl, you know, man, man search for meaning. There's always um, something we can find to be grateful for. So for me, you know, gratitude. That's that, that's for me. Right, number ten. You didn't know this was coming. Who in the world would you like to interview, past or present, and why? Obviously, my dad. Um, I wish I could have a have a brew with him and a beer. We we both know that, don't we? Um, mm. And and we, I do it. I, I I do that all the time. Anyway, I do speak to him. But I think past or present, um, Mandela. I'd love to speak to Mandela, Nelson Mandela. Um, have you seen the the, the movie, the book? Or, no. Or it's all about change and that guy. Um, you heard, you heard the story about long trousers. No, could oh, tell so me. So listen to this. So he was incarcerated, and he was incarcerated, didn't you? Mm. And the guards and everyone was horrible for him. And he had one one goal, and I'll probably get this wrong, but it maybe took him 10 years. And what he wanted was, he was always in shorts, and he thought, well, if I get long trousers, I'll, I'll, they'll respect me more. And he fought and fought and lobbied for the guys to get long trousers, and he eventually did it. And that's how he started doing it, getting little wins, and um, just focus on little bit things to be more accepted, to take him from being down there to up there. And then... Um, just how he stayed focused for that amount of time, you know. Let's go back to you doing a lightweight walk and, and me yep. doing the you know Kilimanjaro, um, trying to keep focused for a small amount of time. And we had a massive team around us and, and, and great people to motivate us. You know, he's incarcerated for the colour of his skin. Um, that that's a mind I'd love to untap and, and speak to and, and get some wisdom out of. Great answer. Great answer. Right. That's a big wrestling podcast, Leon. Thank you for telling us a bit about yourself and professional and personal. So thanks a lot. It's good. It's good. Um, it was it was more like a like a roast, Paul. Hog roast. I would call it real and raw. Real and raw. Thank right, thanks, Paul. Bye. That's Leon checking out. Paul checking out. <laughs>